Welcome, thinkers, to Season 4, Episode 5 of Thinking Critically. Today's topic is history. And as usual, some announcements. Firstly, I just wanted to really, really, really thank you, all my regular listeners. There's a really cool group of you out there, and it's what makes me keep coming back every two weeks and dropping a new episode. So it really is super appreciated. I love that you guys are all out there and keep coming back for more every week. So thank you so, so, so much. And also, by the time this episode drops, the finale of my time loop campaign, well, maybe the finale, maybe the penultimate session, uh, <laughs> you, you know what D&D is like, but hopefully the finale of my Outer Wilds inspired time loop campaign arc, I'll be streaming on Tuesday the 12th of July at 8pm British summertime. So tune in to twitch.tv slash thinkingcritically if you want to see how the group resolve their chronological conundrum. Otherwise, let's get on with the show. And today I'm joined by Andrew and Vesna Gronowski from Shoestone Publishing. Thank you ever so much for joining us today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourselves? Oh, thanks for having us. We run a small gaming company in Boston, Massachusetts in the USA. And we've both been gaming, uh, role-playing games for a long time. Uh, about when did you start? Somewhere uncomfortably long ago, I think, uh, Early 90s would be yeah, my guess. Yeah, let's just say we've, we've both been gaming for uh, more than 30 years. We mm-hmm. play Dungeons and Dragons regularly. We both like Call of Cthulhu, and we played a historical fantasy game called Ars Magica. That's actually how we met. Oh, wow. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is history. So what does that mean to you in the D&D and wider TTRPG framework? There are um, several well-acclaimed historical role-playing games. Call of Cthulhu is is Mm -hmm. one of the best known. And Vesna was actually in the medieval history program at a major university in Boston uh, Mm -hmm. when we met. This is true. It's a hobby now, though. I do something uh, that you can actually eat off of. (laughs) Yep. So, you know, we were both playing Ars Magica at the time when she was a, a history student. And I really fell in love with Ars Magica because, you know, I knew only what history they teach, European history they teach in school, um, which is all the dull bits. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to an encyclopedia and looking at the history of France in the 13th century. And there there was no France in the 13th (laughs) century. (laughs) Right. And Half of uh, what is now France was part of the Angevin um, so-called empire. Um, So it was actually ruled from the English throne. Mm -hmm. And of course, this is where the Hundred Years' War comes from. And there's just so much, there's so much depth there once you start looking at history. And a famous game designer, I think it was Ken Haidt, said, if you want to make your, your game really interesting... The first thing you should do is set it on Earth mm-hmm. because your players will automatically be familiar with it. They'll, yeah. they'll bring some preconceptions maybe, 
but will have the sense of place that I think we strive for. So if you're playing in a purely fictional fantasy world, then I think you can draw on history to really enrich that world and to enrich your stories. George R. R. Martin, I think, drew heavily on historical patterns. I think he simplified actual historical dynastic struggles um, for Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. But you you really get a sense that he had a library card, right? That, <laughs> that, <laughs> that he, he knew how these, he's, these played out in, in the real world. So Dan, is your D and D game in a homebrew world or are you using one of the major campaign settings? No, no, it is. It was all homebrew. Cause I was foolish and arrogant in my young age of six, six years ago. Uh, <laughs> and think, thinking I, I could, I, I want to make it all. I want to do it all from, from the ground up more of a control thing you know i, I want to be in control of all the little bits and bobs that, that make up this place which mm-hmm. was somewhat naive <laughs> i've always made my own worlds for D as well so i feel your pain mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. but when, when you say to have control mm-hmm. it reminds me of something that puts people off i think about history which is that history has a lot of ugliness in it Mm-hmm. There's a lot of racism, a lot of cruelty, just atrocities and so on. And I thought long and hard about this critically uh, <laughs> while I was writing a historical game. And what I want to say to the audience is a modern setting has all those same, all that same risk, all the same ugliness. The world is still human nature hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. So it's an editorial choice of what dark side of society, what dark side of human nature you want to show. And the fact that you're drawing from a period 500 years ago doesn't require you to bring in more unpleasantness than you would if it were modern. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I think that's generally true of using history in gaming. Um, I know back when I was in history grad school, we used to have this event which was called Bad Historical Movie Night. We would watch a historical movie and a whole room full of historians would rip that thing to shreds <laughs> while having adult beverages. It was a great time, except for the one time that somebody got a little bit too drunk and started yelling in Old English. Yeah. But anyway, um, I digress. <laughs> Fun times. But I think it's easy to pan historical movies and to try to really stick to the source material. Mm -hmm. But the beauty is that you don't have to in a fantasy world or really in any game, you can, you can pick and choose. You can pick and choose the things that will make for the fun part and all the things that maybe aren't true and that you wouldn't want to mention in an academic paper or a dissertation can be central and true in your world. And I find that very, very appealing. Mm -hmm. By the way, it also makes historical research more fun for me personally, because I came at it from the other end, right? I was doing academic research and those are huge books on sometimes very boring topics. Mm -hmm. But when you're having some thoughts about what could be happening in your game world, and then you're starting to read up history that you think might be able to support building it and giving it more depth and nuance, suddenly it's more interesting because you have a purpose and it's creative. (laughs) It's not just memorizing a bunch of stuff or reading some dry old books. Uh, Mm -hmm. Now I'm wondering what your 
your grad school advisor's D&D world would be like when you open a chest full of coins, <laughs> right? <laughs> he, he, would, he would have a story for each coin yeah. <laughs> that was, that's in there. <laughs> Yeah, he's an economic historian, that's why. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, uh, my, I am, um, although I, I have academic credentials, history is not one of them. I'll, I'll be <laughs> as transparent <laughs> as right now. My, my, my history education started and ended in secondary school. So mm-hmm. when I was 16, uh, and now I feel bad talking to trained professionals <laughs> about my. One. I'm, I'm an amateur. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> You're an amateur professional. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm not like, my, my knowledge of history is very limited in that, you know, I, I always remember my mum telling me that she didn't like America because America doesn't have any history versus England, which has like hundreds and hundreds of years more. And that's, that's pretty much my, <laughs> my, my global uh, no, context. Don't, don't say that in Boston. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm doing it with you, like my safe space with you guys. It was sat in my home over here on the other side of the Atlantic. So yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Although you know, this is this is another way that you can bring history into a game. Um, Andrew visited my hometown in Germany. Now that's mm-hmm. that's a university, former university city. The university moved to a different town. Now in America, the 200 and a bit years of history that they have are cherished. And mm-hmm. when you have something historical, you put a plaque on it and you pretty much preserve it as a time capsule almost as much as you can. Now, when he visited the town where I grew up, he saw the house where, you know, Gauss, the mathematician, wrote his dissertation. It's a dinner kebab shop. <laughs> That's <laughs> not that and, you know, at least as far as I'm concerned, when you have a game, that's a choice you can make. Is history in an area going to be enshrined? Is it something Mm. that people hold sacred, that they try to turn into little museums and you can't really go there? Or is it, you know, well, now they're selling, I don't know, food out of their street food, pretzels. It makes me wonder if different races in a fantasy world would have a different attitude to history. Mm. You know, elves might say, well, that was only 300 years ago. Yes. That's not history. Yeah. <laughs> right? I, I love I love this world build. Like when it comes to this level of world building, I love it because A, I'm always the worst at thinking of it or it's way that the car has left the station way before I've actually gone, oh, that would have been a good idea. But also because it brings in those other, like you can almost like bunny hop through what is the culture like here, but then how would that be impacted by, say, for example, how long a species lives? And that is that interaction between a, you know, a, a race that lives 1,000 years versus a race that lives 100 years is interesting in of itself, just the dynamic there, let alone when you fold in the stuff we've just been discussing, like this is a statue here to somebody and a human might be like, oh, okay, when was that? Like a couple of centuries ago? No, like <laughs> a couple of, like a million years ago. <laughs> I imagine going to a party somewhere and this elf getting really drunk and telling me, you won't believe what Julius Caesar told me at this party. I went to 2,000 years ago. He got so hammered. You won't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> the elf comes uh, and meets you and says, oh, you're from such and such a land. Do, you know, do, they, still have, do they still have that tavern? <laughs> you know? Yes. <laughs> yeah yeah i it, see i love doing the show for reasons like this because now i'm like oh i need to start thinking about next next place they're going to go where, what's going to be there what does, what does that mean and there, there are you know it's that environmental storytelling boom there it is 
trying to leverage my video game knowledge there and it took mm-hmm. way longer than I'd <laughs> like uh, where you just have those little tidbits and like that maybe you go to a city and there aren't like you describing this and like maybe there aren't any historical artifacts because they just don't care and they just build on top build on top build on top build on top and if you go into the basement of a doner kebab shop there'll be like reams of <laughs> architectural <laughs> foundations that they're just like oh that's just where we keep the donners like that's just where the <laughs> the, the pitters <laughs> dry out like <laughs> which is fantastic to to think of yeah but you mentioned you mentioned the game of thrones and all of that and i think that's that's also that you know the bigger historical picture is also worth talking about especially mm-hmm. some of the like, dynastic stuff too yeah that's true that's one of the one of the ideas i brought with me um we gave a seminar at gen con um a couple of times and we, we change up the topic every year we call it beyond battles overlooked history for world builders and um one of the one of my favorite stories was um, the marriage in Spain of Isabella of Castile mm-hmm. and Ferdinand of Aragon, because I played the video game Crusader Kings Two, which is yep. a dynastic strategy game, and I actually did this. I actually <laughs> unified Spain by marriage, and. I, I tell you, you know, in history books that, or in history class, they just said this in one sentence. Oh, and, and this princess married that prince and that unified Spanish. No, that was hard. That <laughs> took a lot of work. <laughs> and uh, that's a perspective that's really useful for world building is, mm-hmm. you know, there's an opportunity here. Right. But we have to do this to make it happen or we want to prevent it because Together, Aragon and Castile would just steamroll Portugal, which they kind of did. (laughs) 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 But um, I don't remember too many of the details of of that. I mean, I I know that – actually, I know a couple of things, which is that Isabella was not the primary heir of Castile, but there was a succession struggle, and the heir that – one faction was advancing, got bumped off. And the only blood kin that that faction had was Isabella. Mm-hmm. They had the upper hand, but their their pretender was eliminated, or was killed. And they said, well, all right, well, we're going to go with her. And they won. So they put her on the throne. And in Aragon, Ferdinand was watching the situation and he had been waiting for a strategic marriage. And he said, you know, I'm going to keep waiting and see how that civil war over there plays out. And when she won, I, I will use the joke from my Gen Con seminar. He, he approached her and said, so, Isabella, what do you think of my huge tracts of land? <laughs> <laughs> You said you, know, you don't remember all the details, and I think that's really important to mention. That when you're writing academic work, you have to know the entire background because they'll be asking you questions about it later, and if you can't find an answer, you'll sit there looking really, really silly. Mm-hmm. 
For me, I guess the inspiration for how much history to bring in comes of all things from Men in Black, the movie, (laughs) when the two Men in Black are going to look for the fact sheets and where do they go? They go to this newsstand and look at tabloids Mm -hmm. with all these stories that have nothing to do with reality, anything else. It's just wild conjecture and conspiracy theory. And you can you can be as close to the material as you want to and you can do all the research but you don't have to mm-hmm. only as much as you need to make it interesting whatever inspires mm-hmm. and if all you want to know is that you know there was Isabella and she happened to be available at the time that Ferdinand thought it would be fun to unite two countries that's all you need you can riff off of that mm-hmm. or you can make a story of how we got there yes and in fact, it would be kind of funny to make it almost um, Ferdinand and Isabella meet Jane Austen. <laughs> Regency romance situation with political implications. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I've done one or two Viva's defense of my academic papers and I have know the pain of sitting there like a lemon uh, in, in many <laughs> aspects of my life. So yeah, no, <laughs> one of which being a DM, funnily enough. So yeah, it's funny how some things never change. It's all kind of history. <laughs> But yeah, no, I, so for my campaign, when I first started world building, I had, you know, a rough idea, a couple of big, you know, MacGuffin arcs to get the MacGuffin via, you know, this way, whatever it may be. But a number of other MacGuffins were driven by the player backstories and they had pretty much free reign to make whatever it is they wanted to make, you know, combinations. So obviously that has implications for the wider world. So when somebody picked a total, which is kind of a more unusual, rarer character race in in D&D 5e I was like okay now I need to think about the implications of that in my setting so like where are they and where have they been and there's a meme that turtles actually have like a short lifespan in D&D 5e it's like 30 or 40 years whereas in real life the Galapagos turtles can live like (laughs) 200 years so yeah there there's all these things kind of mashing together and in my untrained mind of trying to work out quote-unquote a long time ago but there's an elf in the party and a long time ago to him isn't a long time ago at all. So it's, it doesn't really kind of loses all of its kind of punch. Cause I'm like, Oh, actually you were just on holiday when that happened to everyone else. This was like two generations ago, but for you, it was, you know, already half lost to the midst of time, but to you, you were just on holiday at the time. So trying to stitch all that together, I had a timeline and it changed. Oh man, I hacked that to pieces, moved things around, added a couple of thousand years here and there to be like, actually, that's not really that long ago. Let me just chuck in like 20,000 years. Now, now that's a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that, that's pretty much how I came to my timeline. My, my, the, my universe history for my campaign was just add some zeros and hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> now, in your world, do, do people come and go were there migrations because if you if you open a history book for and we know mostly about european history yes. um, because the sources are really available and because they just publish a lot europeans mm. publish a lot about european history let's <laughs> uh, also face it you know we know the language as yeah well. <laughs> yeah we know the languages so that helps but in your world have you thought about people coming and going so an example would be the Normans, right, mm-hmm. who originally came from Scandinavia, settled in Normandy, and then, of course, then went on to 
conquer or colonize other areas of Europe, um, England and also Sicily, mm-hmm. parts of Greece. And yeah, by the way, it was a combination of conquest and colonization. Like they, of course, you get you know the Vikings raiding the Irish monastery, and that's a fun trope for adventurers mm-hmm. or pretending pre- protecting the monks, that sort of thing. But the same people also put up settlements and started trading with local populations mm-hmm. and intermarrying and all of that, and eventually turned into a different group. So yeah, people do move around. And mm-hmm. mingle, mm-hmm. and they they can just show up. Like yeah. the Roma people showed up in Europe in the 15th century, at least as far as European historiography is concerned. Okay, so that's the other bit. Like how many? I guess that should probably come up too, which is sources. With an elf, you can just ask the next guy, which yeah. is a little bit annoying. Well, <laughs> maybe, but the elf may not care. Um, you know, I was I was thinking that now. You, can't see it on the podcast, but I have a gray beard. I'm 51 years old. <laughs> and when I was 16, I didn't think, I thought history was the past. But then I was around when the Berlin Wall came down. Okay, that's an event. That's history. But the perception still, you know, if, I'm imagining if my lifespan were 10 times longer. I might, I might say that is history, but I may not say for example, there was an, I'm just thinking of an event, right? And there was, um, there was an Asian currency collapse around 1997, right, that happened. It affected Asia a mm-hmm. lot more than it affected me. So, you know, I may know that it happened, but because it wasn't part of my lived experience. You see what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Just because an elf was around 300 years ago doesn't mean that they have the experience of this thing as a major event. And even if they do, I mean, I was also around when the Berlin Wall came down. And in fact, I was in Germany at the time, so I very much remember. But if you were to ask me, you know, as a historian, so what were the political events that led up to it? What happened on such and such a date? When did Gorbachev meet with whoever? I couldn't tell you. I lived through these events. I picked up a bit through the news, but Mm -hmm. I didn't study them. And so I can absolutely see that a wizard who has studied a particular period and has a history skill out the wazoo would actually know about it more about it than the elf. Yes. Yeah. Okay. This this is all good. This is is all great world building material for me and the listeners. Um, I am like a sponge absorbing this thing because it's because we've talked about the trope already on the show. Like, the lifespans and how that affects but i love snapping us back to reality and being like vox populi on the street like they don't they might not care or know or be like i don't know i've just been a blacksmith for 300 years and (laughs) there was there was an iron shortage 200 years ago that was important but i don't know some some big explosion happened on another continent oh well (laughs) or now if you go into a pub in boston there will be a selection of 10 craft beers. Mm. And I mean, I was too young to, to drink beer, but 40 years ago, there would not have been mm-hmm. right. Craft beer was a thing. Th- things change. There was a time when you couldn't get sushi in the United States, except in a major city. Yeah. There you was know? a time when pizza was kind of weird foreign food. And that's why <laughs> it's called something house of pizza 
rather than an Italian name because you wanted to hide a little bit that this is this novel it- Italian mm-hmm. thing. Right. So. Uh, so 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 things change, and and that's part of history too, right? The cultural history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's you mentioned the the um, food and all of that, and I guess. It's important to realize that you have the queens and the kings and the nobles who make these grand decisions and that we memorize as dates and schools. But then after a while, historians started looking at common people. What was their lived experience Mm. like and how did that change? And if characters aren't kings and queens, they might see more of that until they reach a certain level and get involved in these large world events. And that that makes me... Um, give a, a piece of advice to you and your and your listeners. I would recommend that you look at the early modern period for your historical inspiration for you. So after the printing press, after 1450 in Europe, the sources are enormously richer. And, and what that means to you is that the the history books that you read will be much more they'll just they'll just be much more um, engaging mm-hmm. because the, the writer had an abundance of material and it's it's hard it's not hard to imagine a world without electricity it's hard to imagine a world without printed books mm-hmm. to yeah. me it's hard to relate to that yeah and in fact uh, comparing running stories and something like Ars Magica, even though my background is medieval history, was significantly harder than coming up with a story to tell in Elizabethan England, mm-hmm. simply because early modern really is closer to us culturally in many, many ways. Mm-hmm. They asked, I did a lot of research on the Elizabethan period um, for a game that we, that we developed, and something that stood out, someone asked... Um, Francis Bacon was the difference between we modern people that didn't have the word Renaissance, right? What's the difference between we modern people and our medieval ancestors? And he said three things, gunpowder, the compass and the printing press. Now I think he got those in exact reverse order of importance. (laughs) But... You academics are all the same. Yeah. <laughs> we, can't, we really can't imagine some of that stuff because every time you read a D&D adventure that's published by either, well, by, by whatever publisher, mm-hmm. there's always this room full of books that you walk into and there may be one or two that aren't rotting and that are still a fuse to the wizard. And that's because they just can't get away from books being available and the library being walls and walls and walls of things (laughs) when you would have a small box of three books and it's not inconceivable that you have read every book on i don't know animals in your area that every any monastery has like Mm -hmm. this is your world this is your mental universe Mm -hmm. so that Leads me to speculate about in your world building. Have you have you Dan thought about what's available in the world and not, and were there were there big changes or turning points like an age of exploration in mm-hmm. your world, and, and what what triggered that? 
You keep asking me questions that are going to make me sound stupid. I'm really good at um... These are opportunities for you, though. No, they, they absolutely are. Yeah, so I did have some broadly, and here's my problem is that I, I know because I was just kind of hacking it together. I, I definitely approached it from like the bottom up rather than the top down, which sounds stupid, but instead of no, not at all. Instead of being from like year zero for lack of a better term, and moving on that way, it was more of a case of, ah, well, I've got this thing that needs to happen at some point. When When is that going to make sense to be? And then kind of worked, I worked back almost, and that makes things a lot harder because then if you've changed something at the start, then everything else is then pushed down or brought forward or something. So, yes, there are a couple of epochs there's a there's a, a you know a different calendar system came in at one point mm-hmm. again trying to just bring in some familiarity with the gregorian calendar they're all used to mm-hmm. but exceptionally shallow in terms of like something probably happened if the players inquire about it i'll probably think up something deeper but <laughs> as, as for, for today it was a thing that happened the dates changed for some reason because i think i had in my world and it's very tropey and it's very uninspired to a certain extent you know there were the the older races that were around a lot longer it's like elves and dwarves were there before the younger races of like humans and tieflings or whatever it may be in in my my setting so when that happened because of reasons then the dates changed and i might have it so that it was just because humans in their unlimited arrogance were like well this is when modern history starts now because we're around and so now we're starting to count again from zero because that sounds like something humans would do <laughs> Yeah. So were there changes in the elves' lifestyle or the dwarves' lifestyle, their culture? How do they mark the epoch? Mm, and that, okay, this is a question that I am looking forward to answering because <laughs> in, as much as I am shallow in some elements, I also like to subvert expectations. And this is something I've, I've mentioned on the show a couple of times. So in the second, no, the first proper arc the players went on, once they finished the prologue, they went to some dwarven, you know, dwarven capital city somewhere, and I'd very much lent heavily on, like, it's in a big mountain, you get to it by ship through, like, a bored-out tunnel on the, on the underside of the mountain, and it goes all dark. You come up to some, like, interior docks that are just, you know, it's rocks, and it's all murky, and it's all damp and humid and all this other kind of stuff, and I was deliberately playing on the classic fantasy dwarven trope of industrial and miners and blacksmiths so they're expecting to step off and be in this like the clinging of hammers and it being all Mm -hmm. grimy and dirty and aprons and overalls and furnaces and forges and smelters and i i thought what's the logical end point of a society that is driven by manufacturing and production and i kind of looked at the real world so long story yep. short is they step off the boat and they walk in and it's like a Macy's or something. It's like a TJ Maxx. <laughs> it is hyper-commercialized, hyper-cookie-cutter mass production because with an explosion of population, you can't get by with like 100 artisan dwarfs anymore, can't make the armor and steel and right. armaments for 7 billion mm-hmm. the population. So they were like, let's fast forward the clock a little bit versus the real world yeah. but so long story short they, they, they step in there's like two floors there's a department store there's like racks of plate mail there's racks of 
leather. <laughs> there's there's that's like great. swords all along the wall. <laughs> like classic like adventurer's gear that's branded with this brand of like uh you know like sleeping bags and stuff so i i and my players well one of my players hated it because he's like no sword and sorcery <laughs> i was like sorry you're in my world now and it's all brightly lit and harsh and loud <laughs> yeah there are there are very different you can get a very different vibe in your campaign by by drawing from different periods and uh i'm thinking of glorantha now okay. have you have you heard of this world the world of rune quest oh, i've heard of rune quest so yeah yeah, so that setting, and I haven't played RuneQuest as such. There's a computer game called King of Dragon Pass that gives a, a flavor for that world. And it's a Bronze Age world. Okay. And it's very intentionally modeled on Bronze Age Europe, mm-hmm. which is, well, it's a different world, right? Mm-hmm. And your your world sounds more like a 19th century vibe, mm-hmm. which is really interesting and, and can be done perfectly well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm not a gunpowder fan in my fantasy games, so you, but you can take away gunpowder and you still can have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I'm I'm lazy, which drives most of my world building, which I think is fine. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. In that I want, I want some of the modern quality of life things. I want people mm-hmm. to be able to tell the time because it's just easier for every, the players and me. I, like, I kind of want yeah. people to be able to speak over longer distances because mm-hmm. that just makes things a lot easier than it's just some artificial difficulty in the in the way otherwise so i, I bring in some modern trapping like at this superstore they had an automatic door but it was a pressure plate some macguffins in the wall but essentially it was the doors opened like star trek and then they walked in and the, that's di- great well where where do you think all the trap makers got their got their pressure plates from right? <laughs> they just bought them off the shelf at the hardware store um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that 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 was that again so they were like wow we we were expecting as, as what i expected and i was like nope you've got you've literally got like the demo area so there there was like a foe it was more of an actor dwarf than an actual smelter dwarf like clanging away and being like here you go here's a little trinket to give your, your child so they went to ask that person like where can we find this other they're after some other artisan dwarf and he's like i don't know man i'm on my break like don't <laughs> I only get paid like four gold an hour or whatever it is. So I don't, <laughs> I don't the, the forge isn't real. It's all just lights. Like just don't ask me any questions because I'm just pressing a few buttons. Like <laughs> So yeah, that that was that was the change of that race at least. Not I mean, again, it was more working backwards because I thought that was a good idea, but then obviously it was kind of easier then to plug in the gaps of why that might be. But that that's that's certainly for them. And again, there are, there are some traditionalists, there are some like indie indie uh, craftsmen still in this dwarven city. But they were they were very they were like the craft beers. They were like a little nook, mm-hmm. a tiny little place down some alleyway somewhere that you have to find and 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 seek out that isn't through the shopping center almost. <laughs> so yeah, so that that's that's at least one question that I feel has a semi decent answer from from me that's not <laughs> made up on the spot. <laughs> I was just thinking about dungeons and how how we had to deal with some stuff because, you know, there's history, but then there's also material evidence. There's archaeology, mm. the other side of history. And in a way, every adventuring group does archaeology when you send them into a dungeon. Mm-hmm. And so we had to come up with different eras. So there was a reason for them to go explore ruins 
And that's that kind of forces a little bit of engagement with this too, because it has to doesn't have to make sense, but you know it shouldn't just look like same old if you go to a dungeon. Yeah, no, I'm I'm I absolutely like for me things do have to make sense. I'm a huge fan on like everything having verisimilitude, it making sense in universe. Because I know, I mean, only for my own sake, but I also know at least one of my players would be like, why the heck is this thing here? And I'm just going to go, oh, well, it, it is what it is. Just And then the fourth wall inevitably has been ever so slightly wobble, wobbled at that point. So I always like to make things that make sense and having a traditional Tomb of Horrors or something without a, a lot of foreshadowing and a lot of reasoning elsewhere is, is, is a difficult logical step for some players to make so yeah I died. yeah the first big dungeon they went into was abandoned mines to, to have a trope but it was all very there was no real traps because why would you trap your mines they were just boarded up and that was it kobolds had moved in so there was some there was some kobold traps around where the kobolds are because they wanted to not be disturbed but apart from that there wasn't like arrows shooting out the walls or trap you know pressure plates or lara croft tomb raider put the gems in the circlets and all that kind of stuff that <laughs> none of that was in there for that precise reason so no for me that does make sense i i, I kind of have to have it make sense i know which sounds a bit disingenuous having just said i've got a sh- shopping super supermarket but <laughs> the shopping mall makes sense Here, here's um a piece of history that I want to share because I got I got all excited about the a historian Henri Piren I think he was Belgian right and he, was he 19th century no I think it, I well, forget when exactly so yeah. the, he had I read a book by him and he had this what's called the Piren thesis and the Piren thesis was in Europe the the so-called Dark Ages happened because of well, because the maritime trade routes collapsed, um, particularly the Mediterranean, mm. that, that um, powers from Eastern Europe, Ottomans, I think, mm-hmm. essentially shut down the Mediterranean or contested the Mediterranean and, and trade broke down. Um, this, by the way, is, is discredited. It is not considered factual by historians today, but you can use it anyway mm-hmm. in the game because, well, why was I excited about it? Because it explains how you could have piles of gold in dungeons that nobody's using because, well, I've got nothing like we no longer have our trade route to Constantinople. Yes. Right. So all this gold that I was going to use to buy silk in Constantinople, I can't spend. I'm going to stick it in a dungeon or stick it in a vault. Yeah. Right. Until um, like in um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, right? Until we'll, we'll, we'll put Magrathea right into into hibernation and wake it up when the economy's better. <laughs> and like people thought this happened. Like serious historians thought Europeans did this, but it turns out not so much. But you can use it in your world. Absolutely, and you've just given me a, a really evil idea as to have a big pile of currency at the end of a dungeon that's now no longer legal tender. So the player's like, whoa, oh, there's yeah, all this. Yeah, yeah here's, here's like a whole cupboard's worth of loot. And the, the moment they take it to the shop, they're like, yeah, this is worthless. <laughs> we haven't, we haven't used this. Money, yeah. right? <laughs> we haven't used this for 2,000 years. Get out. It's a waste of our time. It would be hilarious as the GM. <laughs> and, and, and that could happen. 
there's a Twilight Zone episode about gold where, where these people um, put themselves into hibernation with the, and a big pile of gold with the idea that it was going to be – they were going to wake up 100 years from then and be mm-hmm. rich. And the punchline was that they could synthesize gold and gold was, was as cheap as water. But that could happen if your medium of exchange is a commodity. Mm-hmm. Right. It could happen if they're using something like, um, well, ivory is the first thing that comes to mind, but salt, mm-hmm. for example. Right. Or, or th- things can change. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. When silk was only being produced in Byzantium, or uh, then yes. it made sense to go to China to get more. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. But after, uh, after silk production in Europe, picked up yeah it decreases in value and it's therefore not yeah. the, the same as it it doesn't hold the carry the same weight uh as it was as it once did yeah that's exactly. a great i love that idea i'm glad we we've 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 come to that idea because i want to i want to use something similar because it does get a bit it is a bit trite to just have yeah here's diamonds rupees pearls gold fine whatever dungeons over i, I, I kind of want to have a little bit of a rug pull <laughs> to be like oh yeah. you find this other thing yeah, yeah. Or contrary-wise, you know, maybe now wizards have found a new use for diamonds mm. and have begun exhausting the supply. So the price of diamonds has gone way up, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it's worth digging into the ruins from when diamonds were cheap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you say? Did you say that was called a, a parenthesis? Is that is that meant to be like a? Yeah, it's, it's a historian. Is, it, is that a pun on like parentheses or am I? Actually, parent. Oh, and by the way, there's a book that came out fairly recently that's called The Bright Ages, and it's a more it's a more modern historian who writes about this idea of, you know, the Dark Ages. That's really not a good way to look at it. Mm-hmm. It's not what was going on. It's a really good book, but the parenthesis is great for gaming purposes. Yes, sure. So if you want it to be true, it's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it explains how there used to be a golden age and there isn't any more, right? Mm-hmm. And there's wealth stored up. Mm-hmm. And then actually we've, we've been playing some of the old gold box D&D uh, computer games from way back in the day. And another innovation that came around was the letter of credit, where if you were, you know, British nobleman who was going to go, be, go on the grand tour, what they called it to see Europe, your bank wrote you a letter of credit and you could present that thing in Milan and they would give you money. And the reason it came up in a D&D context is um, in one of the later games, there's this, this vault in a couple of cities where you can go deposit your thousands of gold that you're hauling around, you can barely move. Mm-hmm. And then if you go to another city that has a quote unquote vault, mm-hmm. you can just withdraw your funds so you're not hauling around sacks of gold with you at all times but where do you keep the gold that's another fun one (laughs) so apparently when marco if you believe the the, his own accounts marco Marco polo and there are reasons not to believe everything he says when he actually came back from mongolia with enormous wealth considerable amount of it he converted to gems and sewed it into his clothing. And it turns out they did get shaken down because the Khan's power, Kublai Khan's power was loosening and the golden pass passport that protected him didn't protect him all the way back to Samarkand. 
but he still had a lot of wealth because he he had done what any good D and D character would do, which is converted his gold into gemstones, yes. <laughs> which are more easily portable. Yeah. So Gary Gygax, I, I think. Got it too. He may have read that same book. <laughs> <laughs> no, that 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 idea of depositing in one city and being able to access those funds in another another city is a classic. One of my modern tropes that I would I'd absolutely use because it's just that it's that quality of life thing that just makes yeah. sense. I, I want to mention the Knights Templar. Cool. If um, your if your listeners are unaware of the Knights Templar, they're missing out. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is fascinating. So part of the Thing that they're known for is, is letters of credit and and transporting and and, and storing gold. But uh, a, a lot of the books about Templars are very biased. They're not good history. There are a mm-hmm. lot of popular books that are poor history. Doesn't matter, right? Because there's they're based on some evidence, and you can you, you can riff on them for your game. And and mm-hmm. by the time you file the serial numbers off anyway right and it's no longer recognizably templar the your idea yeah yeah the inspiration will, will be will be just as good yeah I, w- I wanted to pick up on something we talked about earlier on that i forgot until recently was when we were saying about how if you, if you speak to it at you know an npc they might not know what happened for whatever reason it might be or they might be a, a, a super expert despite being relatively young whatever it might be but of course there's always the the trope and i don't i hope i'm not like this isn't like a weird cringy thing in in your circles but like history is written by the victors to use a mm-hmm. classic yep. cliche but obviously obviously that you can you can fold in to your your world building and then also the sources you were saying you know like discredited sources or unreliable sources the unreliable narrator which is the way of the mm-hmm. dm to talk through npcs anyway i just love I mean, it sounds I sound so Machiavellian because it's like none of my players can trust any NPCs now with all these like <laughs> nothing is true. Yeah. Uh, but I, I just love kind of thinking about why those things have happened or have come. You know, why that this thing is in a positive light or a negative light, or why these people don't like talking about this certain event, or why this other sort of people really do like talking about that certain event is that's super fun to to think about whether your players actually make use of it or not is a different question entirely, but <laughs> an eye-opening experience I had was I intentionally bought a book of world history written by a British historian, mm-hmm. which had a certain view on colonialism. Of course, it also had a, a rather different view than what I was accustomed to on the American war of independence. Okay. That, that was fascinating. And I, I think he had, he had a new perspective. I, I don't, it's a little heavy, so I don't want to get into it. <laughs> yes. But, I, can, I can imagine, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but the other thing that's kind yeah. of fun is you have the official accounts, the you know, but then you also have pamphlets. And even in a society where not everybody's literate, you might have graffiti. Mm-hmm. Even with Greek history and Egyptian uh, history, I remember um, one of my Egyptologist friends told me that, yes, you have stuff scribbled on the pyramid walls where the workers were that says, Pharaoh got really drunk last night. (laughs) And I remember seeing, um, I used to work on Greek, Greek, I guess, um, epigraphy, so random scribbles uh, all over the place. And there was this adult entertainment quarter where it Mm -hmm. said, you know, the prostitute uh, Bubalion is really hot. <laughs> Stuff like that. So you might get a different view of history or of events by looking at scribbles, pamphlets, mm. things that don't come from the top <clears throat> down. And that's always been interesting. 
Yeah, there's there's a there's a meme that's going around, and it's an image of like a rabbit or a hare or something. It's like what what the creature looks like now, what the skeleton looks like, what historians would extrapolate, and and it's some you know prehistoric looking mm-hmm. monstrous creature. And the same can be said <laughs> for these kind of things, like just some scribblings on the rule that says this prostitute is a hottie that could be incorrectly extrapolated out to be like that is a whole city of prostitutes and in reality it wasn't it was just like one building it was like one brothel but then you know because of the extrapolation of well that's just what that means that that is is the same it's the same thought process which is quite interesting and you can have those kind of yeah (laughs) now i want to make an elf in my world who's, who's sort of like a sancho panza who thinks that nothing is significant and important and uh, the bard tells him about this big event. He says, oh, yeah, I remember that. That wasn't a big deal. <laughs> You're making too much out of it. <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, we, I'm, I'm, I'm super uh, happy because we, we've hopefully provided so much of these little, just these little, little tiny little nuggets of like world building. Oh, yeah, that's that's something interesting to think about that, that can be used in so many ways. It's super interesting. And for me, certainly coming from a not historian background by any stretch of the imagination it's cool it's just cool i can't i can't i'm I'm, i've run out of superlatives to describe the uh (laughs) the use of 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 having these kind of these this this knowledge and these points of views put on i did have one final thing from from me though i wanted to talk about and we Mm -hmm. we did touch on it briefly when you were alluding to the, the berlin wall and that kind of stuff and living through history is i guess with some ttrpgs more than others but let's stick with the classic heroic fantasy for sake mm-hmm. of argument you know would you say it's the job of the player characters to to make history and with all that baggage that has a lot more baggage for you guys than it probably has for me <laughs> i think most people want their characters to be important and more important and interesting than they are but i don't have to be julius caesar or charlemagne mm-hmm. And in fact, that was something I ran into when I was running White Wolf. At some point, like everybody important was a vampire. I was like, no, this is silly. I'm I'm not going there. So there's that. But then you have Achilles and you have Hector, and they are cool in different ways. Perseus, cool in different ways. So I think characters should be cool. Characters should be unusual. For crying out loud, even Frodo ends up being unusual um and fa- the most famousest of hobbits mm-hmm. to quote the movie not the book because yeah. here we go yeah. but i don't think they have to make history as such necessarily what do you think I, th- I think you're you're asking about agency what's the agency of player characters maybe i am maybe i'm not who can say <laughs> well that's that's how i would answer is i think players want to want to feel that they have agency in history mm-hmm. they don't want their characters to just witness history. They want the characters to influence history. And it can be hard to know if you're influencing history or not. Back to the Berlin Wall, the guy who started hammering on the Berlin Wall that night may not have known that the wall would be down 24 hours later. Mm. Maybe he did. But I think that the the players want to feel that they, they want to know the events that they're steering or shaping have historical weight. Mm-hmm. I don't know if players want to know the long view, 
right? So maybe you help restore the king, right? The, the post king to his rightful throne. Do the, do the players want to know 20 years later what people think of that king? I, I don't know. That's. <laughs> I think maybe you may not, you don't even need to. I'm thinking in particular of the pre published Shadowrun and Call of Cthulhu adventures that mm-hmm. I've read. They have a very interesting format. The group goes and does things, and especially in Shadowrun, we're now not talking major history. We're talking them, you know, pulling one over on a large corporation that was up to no good. But the adventure ends by essentially reading a newspaper snippet on what the outcome was of these characters' actions. So maybe, you know, Cthulhu is very similar. You know, after this happened, such and such got arrested, and Mm. then this cult got eradicated over here, and this other thing happened that maybe sets you up for your next adventure. But depending on what the group did... These vary. I think there's more than one option usually. If they did such and such, read this. If they did the other thing, read that. And I think agency is actually exactly right here. We want our actions and our choices to matter. They don't have to be on a large global scale. Mm -hmm. What's the outcome? Yeah, I I like that. That is a nice little touch and quite an elegant solution to like a post-campaign, almost like a post-credits scene of, of, of a campaign, for example. Of, of having that outcome and uh, what i was thinking about while we were talking there is yes some players more than others some characters more than others might want to have that big impact on the world but typically in these worlds you still have you still have the kings as you mentioned you still have the world leaders you still have the tribal leaders you still have the people that the, the historians who can write whatever the heck they want so ultimately all of that stuff is in some ways the nature of the setting rather than it is the players they might save the world and it might be like oh the world's not going to end hooray a generation of species later who cares anymore like it's it's, it's a bit i don't want to end on this bittersweet note so please save me actually if you have anything more that <laughs> you wanted to talk about that we haven't we haven't quite got to yet anything we might have missed yeah i want to say you don't have to start out what you're seeing with me when I talk about history and talk about the parenthesis and, you know, I, I picked up some heavyweight real scholarship books and read them, even though it's not my academic field. You don't start that way, right? The gateway drug is Wikipedia or you can watch documentaries. The BBC makes wonderful documentaries. Secrets of the Dead, really recommended. Yes, very much so. National Geographic, and as I said, I would recommend that you start with um, with a, a period that has a printing press, mm-hmm. unless you have a, a creative reason not to, right? If you're trying to get um, more of a Dark Ages or, I don't know, um, classical Mediterranean vibe in your world, then then obviously those you'd look at the corresponding period. But if you don't know where to start, I would say start with 16th century Europe. Awesome. Thank you. Well, in which case, is there anything you would like to promote? There is, as a matter of fact. We are Shoestone Publishing, and we publish a role-playing game called Magonomia, RPG of Renaissance Wizardry, where all the player characters are wizards, and the magic is closely based on historical grimoires of what people actually thought spells could do 
at a time when magic was taken seriously. And it turns out to be surprisingly playable, that <laughs> magic. And it's relatable. So it's well that that's what that's what we want to pitch is uh, is our role playing game, which you can find on Drive Through RPG or on the Shoestone website. Awesome. Amazing. Well, as usual, all the links will be in the episode description below and I would encourage you Everyone listening to that sounds surprisingly playable is the is, is the box text I think for the <laughs> I love, I love <laughs> well uh, I think the the important thing uh, for us when we picked the period was besides the period being fascinating and a golden age of magical scholarship everybody's had to slog through Shakespeare in high school everybody's had to read something about the period. Mm -hmm. And if that's all the research you've ever done and all the research you ever want to do, that's fine. Run with it. But you know something about it. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Well, all that's left for me to say is thank you ever so much, guys. That was amazing. I, I had so much fun. I, wow, I wish I could travel back in time and tell my younger self, doing secondary school history, you're going to have so much fun talking about it in <laughs> in, in 20 years. Uh, <laughs> so no, thank, thank you so much, guys. Oh, it was a real pleasure. Thanks for having yeah. us. Awesome. It was great, great to meet you. Likewise, thank you everybody listening at home. As usual, please check out everything in the episode description. Links to everything is there, as it always is. Otherwise, thank you all for listening, and good night. And now it's time for the Patreon shoutouts. Thank you to Robert Hartley, DM for Viva the Dirt League and writer on the D&D Logic web series. I would encourage everybody to check him out at Robert Hartley GM on Twitter and Twitch. Thank you to Optional Rule, a two-time guest of the show and a very insightful and knowledgeable source of information. Please check them out at www.optionalrule.com. Huge, huge, huge thank you to a great friend of the show, Matthew Perkins, who's out there making hilarious and educational Dungeons & Dragons content. Please go and check out his stuff at matthewperkins.net, where you can find links to all of his socials and all of his content, including his own Patreon, which I would very much encourage you to check out. Thank you to Matt Street at MPStreet88, on Twitter, for supporting the show. If you need support running your personal or business schedule, head to virtualtimehustle.com or on Instagram to make that difference between should do and done. Boss it better with support from Kat, who will help you get back that essential time you've been searching for. If you would like to support what we do and get four shoutouts a month, head over to patreon.com slash thinkingcritically, or you can just buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com slash thinkingcritically, 